Welcome to the Kinks and Beatles Daily Deep Dive. I am your host, Tony Fry. This is episode 234, Life Goes On by the Kinks. Um, if you were on the live a minute ago, I'm sorry that there was no audio. I don't know what went wrong. So this is a restart, but um, thank you for sticking with me. I want to, before we get started, I want to remind everyone we have a bonus episode coming on March 26th. This is going to be an exclusive video podcast episode for the subscribers, or the contributors rather, um, to the Kinks and Beatles Daily Deep Dive. If you'd like to contribute, you can do so at herohabit.com under the shop button or hit the podcast button and all the information will be there. If you have um, contributed at any point, you will get a link to watch this video live and participate in the recording, and you will also have access to it after the fact exclusively. Um, uh, eventually, about two months after, so we're talking April, May 26, this video will go live to the general public. But I want to give this as a thank you to those folks who have contributed to help keep these lights on um, for this podcast. Um, also, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, you, once you're there, you can see any of the upcoming live recordings we're doing. You can set reminders to um, let you know if you want to participate in those. And you can go through our archives. I'm putting up all of our old episodes that were audio only. And then I'm also setting them up as playlists so that you can go look at the Lola playlist and go through each podcast episode in the order of the album, uh, which I think is kind of cool if you're into such things. So bonus episode March 26th uh, and the subscribe to YouTube all right, it's the second time I've done that in five minutes, so let's move on. We're talking today, Life Goes On, released February 12th, 1977, as the final track on Sleepwalker, and it was also the B-side of the UK single Jukebox Music, which was released on May 18th, 1977, uh, and it was the second single of the album. And as is often the case, I disagree with the release um, order or sequencing and think that the sides should have been flipped. I um, I could argue that Life Goes On should have been the first single for the album just in general, but I definitely think it's a stronger radio hit than Jukebox Music was. Um, that's just my opinion. Like, I, Over the course of covering, this is the last song on this album to get covered. Over the course of covering this album, I think I've completely reinvented their marketing strategy for Sleepwalker. Um, and having never had a number one album, I don't know what gives me the right, but I did it anyway. So on our live chat, we've got a poll here whether you think Life Goes On should have been the A-side to the single. So if you are watching live, um, make, make sure to vote on that poll and we'll talk about the results at the end. Um, the song was recorded between uh, uh, September 22nd and September 30th, 1976. During sessions that also produced the Sleepwalker and Sleepless Night songs. Are you kidding? Now a car alarm? Can this uh, podcast just get recorded in one shot tonight? I'm just going to power through it. Because that car alarm has been going off all day. Um, lyrically, this song is pretty much as Ray Davies as Ray Davies could be. We open with a verse describing a friend who brought his life to an end through emotional stress. Okay. Um... And you know, in our discussion of Full Moon, I had hypothesized that Full Moon and Sleepless Night and Sleepwalker were a suite about the same person. Some of you disagreed with that, some of you agreed, but that's that's how I um, interpret those three tunes. And then I actually said that 
this song being the last song actually had nothing to do with that theme through the whole thing. But then as I was preparing for this episode, I thought maybe that kind of does because is the friend in this episode who, you know, it says his girlfriend has left. Is this the same person that we're singing about in Sleepless Night? Because in that one, it's all about this guy's ex-girlfriend moving on to somebody else. So you could analyze it um, as another part of that of that sleepless suite. Um, but then the uh, first verse about a guy ending his life, and, and it closes with, it was such a tragedy, but that's the way it's got to be, life goes on, which is pretty dismissive. This guy was supposedly your friend, and he's just ended his life, and you're like, yeah, that's sad. Que sera. I mean, that's already kind of a Ray Davies twist, you know, of something that he likes to put into his uh, lyrics. Then the song shifts to a real feel-good deal about uh, appreciating what you have because it can all go away at any time. And it's and there's a lot of good lyrics, you know. So be grateful and take all that you can while you're there, you know, because in any moment we could leave and be done. And, you know, he's trying to remind us that life is short. Enjoy it. Take all you can get out of it. You know, don't stress about the the small stuff or the frustrations. But then he gets dark again. And and it also happens to be one of the funniest moments of any Kinks song, if you ask me. When Ray sings about having lost all his money and deciding to kill himself by sticking his head in the oven, only to realize that he hadn't paid the gas bill and they shut his utilities off. What other songwriter? Maybe Harry Nilsson. I could see that. But there aren't many songwriters who could write a song about a guy who's going to kill himself because he's broke. And the only thing stopping him is that he's so broke he couldn't pay the gas bill to turn on the oven. Only Ray can take an attempted suicide and give it a comical twist. I mean, he's even got the line, no matter how how I try, it seems I'm too young to die. There's so much disappointment in that in that line. Um, I don't know whether to admire this verse or questions Ray's mental state when he wrote it. I mean, it is just maybe one of the darkest lines in the Kinks catalog, but I love it. It cracks me up. Um, and now that I've talked about it for a little bit, I can see why maybe they didn't make this the A side. If you if you look at it, the lyrical content, this might be too dark for AM radio in 1977. But Musically, I mean, come on. Everything about this song musically screams hit, and that that life goes on refrain is such a good hook. The recording of this track is a real standout on the album for me. Uh, For starters, the acoustic guitars that open the track sound fantastic. It's it's a great acoustic guitar uh, recording, and acoustics are tough to record because there's wherever you put the mic, you're going to get a completely different guitar sound. If you put it in front of the sound hole, if you put it up near the bridge, or you put it over the neck. And so a lot of times they'll record it with two or three mics. You get a, a room mic and a sound hole mic and a and a, a bridge mic or whatever. And, and you kind of mix it around until you get a good tone out of it. Acoustics are tough to record. Uh, every, uh, all acoustic instruments, really. But acoustic guitars in particular because of that sound hole. And you can get a real bassy tone and... Um, the, the sound on this is phenomenal and I like it. Um, and then the way they blend it with the electric piano and the electric guitar, it's just, it's a real clean, uh, crisp, well separated on the headphones, 
sound. And I've commented about how this album comes off a little too clean at times, but this song is a real pleasurable listening experience for me. Um, because you can be clean and, and still not be too slick. And I think this song is maybe the best song on the album that actually finds that balance between being too slick and and really clean and dry and all that. Uh, as always, Mick Avery is drumming brilliantly. I love his drumming on this, and this the mix of the drumming sounds really cool. Um, but you really need to listen to Dave's electric guitar playing underneath Ray's vocals. He's balancing that line between playing rhythm and playing lead. And he's playing some really fantastic stuff. You know, he's not just comping on electric because that would be too much. It would get in the way with the acoustics going and that electric piano. You don't want another chordal instrument playing full chords. So he's doing little arpeggiated stuff and little fills and licks and stuff like that um, underneath. And then when there's a little break, he'll get a little bit busier, you know, and it's really tastefully done. But uh, overall, I think it's some of his best guitar work on, on this track. And the tone that he's using, it's super crunchy and dirty. Even though this is a very slick and clean track, he's got a real, uh, he's really pushing the gain or the distortion or something in there and giving it a little bit of crunch and it sounds really cool. And if you're listening on the headphones, the guitar parts I, I want you to focus on specifically are hard pan to the left. And the, it's the same guitar, it leads, it leads right into the solo. It's the same as the solo guitar. But the, all the parts he's playing kind of lead right into it. It's like he's ramping up for however many minutes there are until the solo. He's ramping up underneath. And then when he gets the space to expand, he lets it all out. And I think this is one of his best solos of this period. Um, even though it's very simple and unassuming, right? But this song doesn't call for anything more complicated than that. It doesn't need a shredded solo like you really got me, right? So he's got a great tone. The The solo, the notes that he picks, they all perfectly serve the song. Um, and it's a style that's distinctly Dave Davies, I think. You know, it, it's it, just phenomenal guitar work on there. I think sometimes it gets overlooked by for, uh, but with both the Beatles and the Kinks, but especially with the Kinks because there's not as much live footage of them there's not as much uh talk about them and analysis in general but it, sometimes it gets lost about just how good these guys were as musicians you know it's easy to focus on the quality of songwriting which is 90 percent what this podcast is about or the personalities um, but none of these guys got lucky right they they earned their place as rock royalty you know, none of these guys are hack guitar players or hack keyboard players or hack drummers or guitarists or anything like that. Um, they're all top quality musicians. And I think part of the reason I have a hard time listening to this album is because it sounds like a bunch of slick studio musicians. And I don't really particularly care for the like the L.A. sound of the 70s and 80s. Um, but still, in a lot of ways, that's a compliment because those are the best musicians in the world. Those session guys, those studio guys are the best. They come in, they record a thousand tracks a year, you know, in, in a couple takes each. Um, and the kinks have always been good. They've always been this good. But until this album, they let some live energy um, or intentional sloppiness on their tracks uh, to, to keep them exciting. Right? And I don't mean sloppy in a bad way. I like a little bit of sloppiness in a rock and roll recording um, because it's still, they're, they're not making mistakes. 
it's just loose, right? It's a little bit more relaxed. Uh, and, 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 and Sleepwalker, all that is gone. And you get a super polished, slick production, but without as much energy as, say, the Lola album, right? Which musically, musicianship-wise, is equally as good. But that one's a lot looser. And it could be the studio. It could be the record company. You know, this is a, a first for the record label. And I think it's... No, it's not the first for the... Um, for Conk, I just answered that question for somebody else the other day. But it, I, so it might just be the record label. But it's a totally new sound. And, and I don't say this as a slight at all or an insult because Steely Dan and Fleetwood Mac fall into the same style. It was just a style of recording that I love but can only listen to in small doses. I like to have a little bit of the illusion that they're doing it all live in studio, even though none of them probably are. Does that make any sense? Uh, all of this to say that this is probably my favorite track on the album. And I think if it wasn't wall-to-wall references to death, it probably would have been a massive hit as a single, as the A-side. Um, as far as the music of it goes, I don't think we need to go into the harmony uh, too much on this song. It's in the key of D, and it pretty much stays there the entire time. They don't borrow any chords. Everything is in the key of D. Um, he doesn't drift to far-off places or make you think that he's shifting keys, but he's really not. It's all very basic primary chords uh, with the occasional two or six, but it's a lot of one, four, fives. Um, so I don't see anybody in the chat, but we do have, um, it's a 50-50 vote between should Life Goes On have been the singles A-side, 50-50, say yes or no. I'm going to say musically yes, but I get it. Based on the subject matter, I understand why they went with something else. But I think musically, this could have been a huge hit in the 70s. I mean, it has all the elements. It's catchy. It's got a great hook. The musicianship's great. The recording sounds great. It's a good song. What are your thoughts? Go ahead and email me, kinksandbeats at herohabit.com. Call me at 925-494-1739. Or hit us up on any of the social media or comment right on this video if you're watching us on YouTube. And please, if you are watching on YouTube, be sure to subscribe to the Hero Habit channel. So that you can stay uh, on top of everything that's going on. All right, that's all I got for today. Have a great day. Stay safe out there, and I will talk to you all tomorrow.